If you got your Bibles, we're in Philippians, the fourth chapter. We're, uh, we're going to continue to look at Paul's Minnesota goodbye to the church in Philippi. Uh, he, he takes his time with it. This letter, this, this book of Philippians is all about joy. Paul uses the word rejoice 16 times. It's a serious theme for him, and he's using his life as an example where he says, you know, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. If you've got the joy of Jesus in you, you can find joy everywhere in everything at all times. And he actually lives that out. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to talk about it. The first question I want to ask you is, where do you find joy? What brings you joy? People, is it the things of this world, music, maybe God's word, maybe coming to church? What brings you joy? Think about it as we go through this, this uh, message this morning. I told you a while ago that, that preaching is a dangerous thing because when, when you preach on a topic, it, it turns out that God gives you opportunities to, to work on that topic. And, and Paul's got us looking at joy. I have to confess and admit to you that the last maybe 18 hours haven't been the most joy-filled in all uh, corners of my life. I, I woke up yesterday morning to a main drain that had backed up in the basement shower. I am not a plumber. This is a problem for me. So I dealt with it the best that I could. By that afternoon, there was more water on the floor. And so I got rid of all that, and I just said, I, I'm, I'm going to go to sleep. I just I have to believe it's going to be okay in the morning. I, I woke up in the morning, and somehow my accumulative, cumulative, cumulative efforts yesterday amounted to the most water so far in the basement this morning. Clearly, my efforts were doing something wrong. I was struggling to find joy. So I'm literally laughing, forcing myself to laugh, going, God, we're talking about rejoicing in all circumstances, giving thanks in all circumstances. I'm struggling at the moment. And you reminded me that I had a house and there was more than one room and that we usually have fresh water. And along with fresh water is not such fresh water, which I was able to deal with. And God has given me this great opportunity to deal with joy. And then I realized, well, it's a workout carrying all those buckets of water up the stairs. It didn't bring me joy, but it gave me a good opportunity to think about joy. What brings you joy? Because I'll be honest, Got my kids around, their husbands, my daughter, my granddaughter. I, there's a lot of reasons for joy. And I, that one thing, man, Satan would just love to have me get completely drawn into that. What gives you joy? Because, you know, the thing that gives you joy, you're going to be challenged on, right? That's what Paul is talking about here. Uh, we did this series a while back called Voices. And we took biblical characters... And we took a look at what were the voices that they were listening to? What was the situation they were in and how did they respond to it? And it was interesting. The feedback that we got on voices was really interesting stuff because what we realize is that the, the job of preaching is to take God's word and to connect it to the life that we live to see where it is that God is working our world at work in our world. And that voice is one, it seemed to connect with people. And that, that was really cool. Today, um, we're going to talk about truth. And it's probably going to step on some toes. But if we're going to talk about God's word and where it connects to our world, we've got to be willing to do that. So we did this thing on voices. And what we realized was how incredibly powerful our minds are. 
and, and that we have to be careful because we've got to give conscious thought to what voices we let in and what power we give them. Because those voices, wherever it comes from, whether it's a television show or something you read or a news program or a friend or someone at work, it all gets into our mind when we let it in. It begins to go to work on us. And those voices that we listen to become the thoughts that we have. And if we're not careful and we don't screen out the ones that are negative, that are ungodly, that have us become uh, someone who thinks about things that in a better day we don't want to think about, if we don't consciously screen those out, those voices become our thoughts. And those thoughts become our beliefs, and our beliefs very quickly become our words and our actions. And those voices that days or weeks or months or years ago, we let into our heads suddenly become who we are. It's really important that we think about what goes into our mind. They're incredible creations because our mind can either speak life into the world around us, or our minds and our words can speak division and death and destruction to the world. And what Paul would say is how you think about your circumstances and what you let into your mind makes all the difference in the world. You are not defined by your circumstances. You are defined by how you think about your circumstances. So what gives you joy? When your circumstances aren't joyful, do you have a well? Do you have something you go back to? Is it your relationship with Jesus? Is it God's Word? Is it a favorite Bible verse? Maybe it's a person that sets you straight. What gives you joy? These are the things that we have to be thinking about. This is what Paul is talking about. Bible promises us that when we accept God's free gift of salvation in Jesus, and it really is as, as simple as accepting that gift. Jesus died for our sins and God raised him from the grave that our sins would have no more hold or power over us. And salvation is when we know that we have Jesus who is living in us and we have an eternity with God to look forward to. The Bible says that God begins a radical transformation in us. It isn't that we become a better person. It's that we become a transformed person. A completely different creation. Literally a new creation. It's more than just accepting God's free gift and saying, okay, I'm going to accept the name Christian I'll probably own up to that to most of the people I know. It's even more than being a follower of Jesus. It's actually making the decision to take the step of being a disciple of Jesus and intentionally living our life to become more and more like him. And that begins with the way that we think. And Paul lays out some very simple steps that we can begin, that we can initiate to to being a part of this new creation that God gives us. Romans 12.2 Paul, again, says this. He says, do not be conformed to this world. What he really means when he says that, what what the Greek is saying is do not be conformed to be like the people of this world. The world itself is just a, a thing floating through space. Don't be conformed to become like the people of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be like the people of the world around you who disregard God. That's what Paul is saying. We've got a phrase that's come up in our culture, and, and two years ago, nobody had heard it before. A year ago, it was just beginning to get traction. Now you hear it all the time. The phrase is cancel culture. 
cancel culture. What happens is people get together in large, very vocal, very threatening sounding groups. And when there's a person or a thing or a, a statue or an idea or something in a book that they don't like, they cancel it. And, and they, they scrub it from history. And if you used to believe in it, if it's something that's important to you, you become the victim of the cancel culture. But see, becoming a new creation in Jesus isn't about canceling your old life because you remember your old life. You don't cancel it and it just disappears, never to have been thought about again. When we become a new creation, our mind is transformed. We're not canceled out. Rather, what we do is that we begin to discern and to test the things of God and God's will by understanding the truth that is in God's word. So how do we go about becoming this new creation? First, we need to know what truth actually is. And truth is a word in our world that has become very, very different depending on who it is that you're talking to and what it is that you're talking about. As a Christian, the only way that we're really going to get to the source of the truth is to read God's Word. Get yourself plugged into a Bible-teaching church, not about opinions, but about teaching the truth of God's Word. And then you yourself do the work of digging in and understanding what it is that God is saying so that you can discern God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Depending on what you put into your mind, that sets the stage for how you understand everything else that's around you. Paul would say, we decide by how we think about our circumstances what we will do in our circumstances. Let me say that again. We decide by how we think about our circumstances what we will do in our circumstances. Our circumstances don't define us. We and our attitude and our thoughts about them define our circumstances. And so that's a, that's a major change because in reality, you can be a victim of your circumstances or you can be a voice for Jesus in your circumstances. And Paul always looked up to heaven. He looked up to the example of Jesus and he used his circumstances as an opportunity to be a voice for Jesus. See, Paul wants us to know that our minds are the gateway to our hearts. That's why he uses that phrase together. It's our minds that our reality is created. Reality isn't created by the circumstances around us. Our reality is created by what we believe about them. And if you don't think that that's true, talk to a friend of yours who has experienced the very same thing or watched the same show or saw the same news program. Ask them what they thought about it. Both of you have a different opinion. Why? Because you believe different things and you choose to take different things from it. See, the people that we are and the life that we live begins with how we think. How we think about ourselves, how we think about each other, how we think about the world around us, and how we think about Jesus. Your mind is an incredibly powerful thing. And you have this one lifetime to figure out how to use it for the good and the glory of God. See, Paul understood that, and, and he wants to make sure that people in Philippi understood this, and he wants to make sure that you and I understand it as well. In verse 7, he says something really interesting. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. If you've got the joy of Jesus in you, you are calm and peaceful through circumstances that would drive somebody else absolutely bonkers. Do you know why? Because that peace that you have passes all understanding. You shouldn't get it. You shouldn't figure it out. You shouldn't be able to get a grip on it. Because it's peace that comes from God and we'll never be able to figure out the world doesn't understand it. 
So another step that we can take is that we can look up and we can look for joy in the things above rather than the things of the world. Guarding our hearts and our minds is our responsibility. What goes into your mind and what settles into your heart is normal. That's up to you. It isn't up to your spouse. It isn't up to your parent, your kids, your church, your pastor. It's up to you and it's up to me. What we think and what we allow in is up to us. We are the ones responsible for what we see and what we hear and what we read. Guarding our hearts and our minds is no small task. In fact, it is absolutely critically important. It is of the utmost importance in order to live as a disciple of Jesus. There's no way that we can look up to the things of Jesus while we're looking at and listening to the things of the world. As Paul wraps up this letter, he uses the word finally, and it's his his final thoughts. He's getting to the end. It may be the final words he ever has to this church in Philippi. But what he's doing is finally he's taking everything that he's written to them and saying, now, here's where it all comes together. This is the heart of it. So starting in verse eight, finally, brothers, and he talks sisters. That's what the world means as the collective group. Whatever is true, we're going to talk about truth in a moment. Whatever is honorable, what that word means there is whatever is dignified, whatever is just, whatever is right, not right by our version or standard or expectation, but right by God's perfect will and understanding. Whatever is pure, when he uses the word pure, he means holy, not our idea of holy, but God's idea that we are to be holy as God is holy. Whatever is lovely, what what it translates maybe better is whatever is lovable, whatever is lovable in a godly way. Whatever is commendable of good report, as in the good news of Jesus, is of good report. It's a good thing to talk about. If there's any excellence, anything that's extraordinarily or of extreme virtue, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He says the word if. Well, of course there is. But are you paying attention? Is that what you're choosing to think about? Is that, whether the circumstances are good or bad, favorable or not, is that the thing that you're setting your mind to? If there is, he says, think about these things. See, truth in our country is in short supply. We're going to take God's word and we're going to bring it home to where we live. Truth is in short supply. Do you know there was a a landmark decision in a Florida court a few years ago that said cable news networks, because they're not supported by the government, cable news networks have no responsibility to report the truth. Were you aware of that? Cable news networks are, by admission, uh, info television. It's infotainment. It's not truth. It doesn't have to be truth. And so what we get is this steady diet of highly politicized, highly divisive propaganda that's only truth if you don't question it or, or, or if it says what you want to hear. And so what ends up happening is whether you're a cnn or a Fox Newser or an msnbc or, or maybe a Facebooker, it's amazing how many people get their news from Facebook only. If you don't ever question it, if you don't ever verify it, if you don't ever discern, Paul says, it, that becomes your truth. It becomes the political truth that you live by. It becomes what you believe. It becomes the truth that drives the friends that you're around. That becomes the truth that you live your life by. It also becomes the truth that you believe and that you speak into the world. And yet those people giving you, selling you that truth that's driven by advertising dollars would never make the claim in all reality that it's truth because in a courtroom they said that it didn't have to be. What is the truth? That you cling to. 
In fact, that truth, we, we, you know, it's called fake news, but it's more than that. It's crooked speech and devious talk, and that's not what Paul's talking about. Proverbs 4.24 says this, Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. We're to turn from it, not accept it as truth, and yet what happens is we find a news outlet that tells us what we want to hear. We find a news outlet that, that supports and talks about what we believe. And so we take that news outlet and that becomes our religion and we believe everything they say and that becomes our truth and our entire life is shaped by it. And Paul says, you know, by the renewing of your mind, we need to test and discern to understand what's true. Most of the ways that we devour this social media and cable news, that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about discerning and that takes a Christian who knows God's word to be able to discern. Now, now, does God's word talk about the specifics of, po- of politics in our country? Of course it doesn't. But it talks about truth. And what Paul is saying is we need to be thoughtful and careful and choosy about what we let into our minds. Because the thoughts of our minds become, become the realities of our life. And the things that we think we begin to believe and what we believe we become, our thoughts become who we are and how the world knows us. So where do you get your joy, and what do you trust as truth? Because we've got to be careful about it, folks. Most of us, I'm afraid, don't give a whole lot of thought to our thoughts. It's just the way it happens. It's the way our day goes. We we take in what's ever around us rather than intentionally screening out things that we know are not godly. And yet Paul would say that is of utmost importance. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul isn't saying follow me. Paul isn't saying say that, you know, Jesus was cool, but you need to follow me because I'm still here. Oh, no, no, no. Paul is saying preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. But he's saying you can use me as an example. See, he's taking the role model, the example of Jesus, and he's choosing to live his life by it. And so he says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. These are the things that look up. These are the things that point to heaven. Practice is an action word. Practice isn't something that you you do without thinking about it. Practice takes intentionality. Whether it's music or a sport or whether it's drama, it doesn't matter. If it's something that you want to get better at, if it's something that you want to know and master, you need to practice. Practice is a word of intentionality and it's working towards something. It's what we do when we want to live as the new creation that we're made in Jesus. We have to work with God and we have to practice becoming that new person. In communion, it's so easy to talk about the sin, say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me for all this stuff. Uh, You know, I I didn't really mean to do it. I got caught up and we come up with excuses. And then we even say, I want to repent. I don't want to do that anymore. But then in our minds, it's so easy to go, but but I know I'm going to. I, I know I'm going to do that. Jesus didn't say that you're a new creation so that you could continue to be the old person. We're a new creation, not to be a better version of who we were, but to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And when we do that, that takes practice. It takes effort. We have to partner with God and the Holy Spirit to become and to live as that new creation. Instead, it's so easy to spend our lives asking for forgiveness while we spend our days and our nights living in the gutters of the world that we live in. And they're gutters that we create. 2,000 years ago, 
Paul called Christians to a higher standard. That's what these books are about. About how do we live as a Christian. 2,000 years, we're still trying to do it. Not to figure it out. That's easy. He makes it very clear. What we're trying to do, I believe, is we're trying to decide if being that new creation in Christ is what we really want. I think that's the heart of the battle of sin for every one of us as a Christian. Okay, Jesus, I accept your your gift of salvation. I accept uh, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you. Just not sure that I want to be that new person. I think the struggle that we have is not that we're not able. It's that we haven't decided if we really want to be that new creation in Christ. So what do you want? What do you really want to listen to? What do you really want to fill your mind with? What do you really want to be the thing that softens or hardens your heart to the world around you? What is it that you want to hear? What is it you want to read? What is it that you want to see? Is it so important that you you watch whatever your chosen news channel is so that you know what to believe? You want to make sure you follow truth. Got me wondering as I was working on this week, I, I wonder if we were honest with ourselves. How much time do we spend watching our preferred cable news compared to how much time we spend in God's Word? One has no responsibility to be truth whatsoever. One is truth for now and forever. Always has been, always will be. Do we really want to be the new creation in Christ or do we want to just be a little bit of a, a better version of who we were? See, how do you stop the world from pressing in on our joy? Well, then we look up. The balloons over here are all from that verse in verse 8. All of those things, pure, honorable, true, just, lovely, commendable, uh, excellence, worthy of praise. That, that's what the balloons are. Look up, right? The movie Up, a Pixar, it was a great. It was a, uh, a movie about an older man and his wife, and she passed away, and they'd always had the dream of going to this, this destination in South America. And he finally, the city encroached, and the world encroached and built in around him. And, and rather than giving in, he tied a bunch of balloons to his house the day that he was supposed to be taken away to a home and he sent his house airborne and floated to South America. Okay, so it doesn't quite work in real life, but it was fun. I made the mistake of saying it would take two and a half million helium balloons to float a house. Turns out it would take 23.5 million helium balloons. You can go to the effort of Blowing up 23.5 million helium balloons and trying to free your house from the foundation that you set it on to look up. Or you can choose to dig into God's word and to choose to look at Jesus and to look up to the things of God. What are we looking up to? What are we trying to become? What are we practicing to be? Are you filling your mind with his words and his promises and his joy? Or are you filling your mind with, with the stuff of this world? See, if, if we really believe that we've got a home that's waiting for us in heaven, we should be looking to that, knowing that that is the promise. That is, that is what God has, has given to us who believe in Him and who believe in Jesus as our Savior. And we spend this lifetime trying to share the good news of Jesus with anyone and everyone that will listen. We don't have to worry about floating our house up to the sky. As one who's a disciple of Jesus, who's given our lives to him, we know that we're going to spend our eternity in heaven. And yet we've got to deal with this world. We've got to deal with the problems and the things that we create and the things that are thrown at us. We've got to figure out what we're going to do with that. John 10.10 talks about the very real battle that we're caught in. The thief, the enemy of God, Satan, the devil. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus said, that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came and gave his life for you so that you could experience the joy of life and experience it abundantly. To do that becomes being the new creation and allowing ourselves not to be a better version of who we were, but to be a transformed version of who we were. Same body, same mind, same memory, but an entirely different outlook. And so what it means is that that kind of joy, the world doesn't know. The world doesn't understand it. Cancel culture doesn't understand what they're doing. They just don't like it for whatever reason. And so they think by destroying history and overriding it, it's going to make them feel better. But you know what? Then they just go after the next thing to destroy that thing. The world's only response is to steal and kill and to destroy because it doesn't understand the joy that God gives us. And so what happens? Then the enemy goes to work to steal the joy because there is no joy with him. If you're spending your life looking for joy in the world, you are forever going to spend your life looking for joy. But if you're looking for joy in a relationship with Jesus, that joy is only one acceptance of the free gift of salvation away. The truth is, the enemy of God and the people that he controls, they have no joy. They cannot come to you and I to kill and steal and destroy the joy that we have in Jesus. But if Jesus is living in you and you realize that your circumstances don't define your joy, Jesus in you defines your joy, If your circumstances don't define your life, your attitude and the way that you think about your circumstances defines your life. Then the enemy of God can't steal the joy that is deep within you. So what can we do about it? We can live for Jesus. We can live to become and practice becoming the new creation that Jesus died that we could be so that we could be transformed into the person that God created us to be. To live for joy. Live for Jesus, live for others, and then live for ourselves, take care of ourselves. Live by looking up and practicing the things of God. We can look ahead to our home that's in heaven, but we can live in joy right here, right now, today. And and how do we do it in a world that's so dark and so divided? We don't look to the world for joy because it has none to offer. We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of life, to be our joy. And the love of Jesus and Jesus living in us is a joy that can't be taken away. It's a peace that passes understanding. That's what God created you for. Where do you go to get your joy? And what do you believe is truth? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. Paul just understands us so well. He understood that church in Philippi and he understands all of us. And so thank you. Thank you for this letter, God. We, we truly do. People, people who take time to, to carve out time in the middle of busy weeks to come to church. God, we all want to be that new creation. We don't want to keep being the same person that's made the same mistakes over and over and over. But so often it feels like it's just spinning our wheels. And outside of you, God, that's exactly what it is. But we know that you don't call us to anything that's impossible. And that means that it is possible through you and in you and because of Jesus that we can be that new creation that you talk about. So God, I just pray that through your Holy Spirit, everyone who is open, everyone who is willing, everyone who is wanting 
Not to be a better version of themselves, but to be a fully transformed new creation in Jesus. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be in us and to work through us. Guarding our hearts and minds as we practice and partner with you to do the same thing. That the things that we listen to, the things that we look at, the things that we let in are things that glorify and give honor to you and grow us as disciples of Jesus. God, help us to be people who give thanks in all circumstances and who look up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, here's, here's the deal. I'm not picking, picking on uh, CNN or, or, or uh, Fox News or MSNBC. They do exactly what they advertise. They entertain with information. The information isn't always true, but that's what they do, and you shouldn't expect any more than that. The point that I want to make is to simply say this. As Christians, we need to be discerning. We need to be wise. We need to watch being made aware that there's an agenda that is being put out for us. And yeah, it might agree with who we are, but you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If people know you by your politics more than by your Savior, you've got a problem. When you're out there, you know what? We've got one life, one opportunity to tell the world about Jesus because there's a world full of people that are living without joy who don't know him. We have the chance to be the ones that tell them about the good news of Jesus.